0: STORIES. FABLES. GHOSTLY TALES. Are you a fan of Edgar Allan Poe? Well, a couple of listeners have voted with their words and sent me emails requesting some Edgar Allan Poe poems. Oh yes, and these poems are just brilliant. Now, some of these poems may sound like I'm repeating lines. I assure you though, they're not repeats. It's just how Edgar writes his poems and his style of poetry. I had a couple of emails voting for creepy pastors, so I'll be shortlisting those, and some episode suggestions of Japanese horror stories. Again, shortlisting those. Nothing quite like a good yokai story, right? A big thank you to those that sent through their thoughts and suggestions. Greatly appreciated. And now, I have six poems for you. And your lovely ears. The poems are as follows The Bells, Ulalum, To Helen, Annabel Lee, A Valentine, and For Annie. I try to pick some poems I think you may not have heard to keep things unique. I hope you enjoy them. Let's jump right in. The Bells. Hear the sledges with the bells, silver bells. What a world of merriment their melody foretells. How they tinkle, tinkle, tinkle in their icy air of night, while their stars that oversprinkle all the heavens seem to twinkle, with the crystalline delight keeping time, 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 in a sort of ruinic rhyme. To the ablations that so musically wells, from the bells, 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 from the jingling and the tinkling of bells. Hear the mellow wedding bells, golden bells, what a world of happiness their harmony foretells, Through the balmy air of night, how they ring out their delight. From their molten golden notes, and all in tune, what a liquid ditty floats. To the turtle dove that listens, while she gloats on the moon. Oh, from the sounding cells, what a gush of euphony, volumelessly wells. How it swells, how it dwells, on the future, how it tells. Of the rapture that impels, to the swinging and the ringing, of the bells, bells, bells. Of the bells, bells, bells 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 to the rhyming and the chiming of the bells hear the loud alarm bells brazen bells what a tale of terror now the turbulence tells in the startled ear of night how they scream out their affright too much horrified to speak they can only shriek shriek out of tune in a clamorous appealing to the mercy of the fire in a mad expostulation with the deaf and frantic fire leaping higher 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 with a desperate desire, and a resolute endeavour, now, now to sit or never, by the side of the pale-faced moon, oh the bells, 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 what a tale their terror tells, of despair. How they clang and clash and roar, what a horror they outpour, on the bosom of the palpitating air, yet the ear it fully knows, by the twanging and the clanging, how the danger ebbs and flows, yet the ear distinctly tells, in the jangling and the wrangling, How the danger sinks and swells, by the sinking or the swelling in the anger of the bells. Of the bells, 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 in the clamor and the clangor of the bells. Hear the tolling of the bells, iron bells. What a world of solemn thought their monody compels, in the silence of the night. How we shiver with affright, at the melancholy menace of their tone. For every sound that floats, from the rust within their throats, is a groan. And the people, ah, the people, they that dwell up in the steeple, all alone, and who toiling, 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 in the muffled monotone, feel a glory in so rolling, on the human heart a stone. They are neither man nor woman, they are neither brute nor human, they are ghouls. And their king is to who tolls, and he rolls, 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 and pian from the bells. And his merry bosom swells, with the pian of the bells, and he dances, and he yells, keeping time 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 in a sort of runic rhyme to the pean of the bells of the bells keeping time 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 in a sort of runic rhyme to the throbbing of the bells of the bells 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 to the sobbing of the bells keeping time 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 as he kneels 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 in a happy runic rhyme to the rolling of the bells of the bells bells bells, bells to the tolling of the bells of the bells, 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 to the moaning and the groaning of the bells. Oolaloom. The skies they were ashen and sober. The leaves they were crisp and sear. The leaves were withering and sear. It was night in the lonesome October of my most immemorial year. It was hard by the dim lake of Orba in the misty mid rain of Weir. It was down by the dank town of Orba in the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. Here once, through an alley titanic, of Cyprus I roamed with my soul, of Cyprus with psyche my soul. These were days when my heart was volcanic, as the scoriac rivers that roll, as the lavas that restlessly roll, their sulfurous currents down Yannick, in the ultimate climes of the pole, that groan as they roll down Mount Yannick, in the realms of the Boreal Pole. Our talk had been serious and sober, but our thoughts they were palisade and tear. Our memories were treacherous and sere, for we knew not the month was October, and we marked not the night of the year. Ah, night of all nights in the year! We noted not the dim lake of Orba, though once we had journeyed down here, remembered not the dank tarn of Orba, nor the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. And now, as the night was senescent, and the star dials pointed to Morn, as the sun dials hinted of Morn, at the end of our path a liquescent and nebulous luster was born out of which a miraculous crescent, a rose with a duplicate horn. Asati's bediamonded crescent, distinct with its duplicate horn. And I said, she is warmer than Dian. She rolls through an ether of sighs. She revels in a region of sighs. She has seen that the tears are not dry on these cheeks, where the worm never dies. And has come past the stars of the lion, to point us the path to the skies. To the lethean peace of the skies, come up in despite of the lion, To shine on us with her bright eyes, come up through the lair of the lion, with love in her luminous eyes. But Psyche, uplifting her finger, said, sadly this star I mistrust, her parlor I strangely mistrust. Oh hasten, oh let us not linger, oh fly, let us fly, for we must. In terror she spoke, letting sink her wings, till they trailed in the dust. In agony sob, letting sink her, plumes till they trailed in the dust, till they sorrowfully trailed in the dust. I replied, this is nothing but dreaming. Let us on by this tremulous light. Let us bathe in this crystalline light. Its symbolic splendor is beaming with hope and its beauty tonight. See, it flickers up the sky through the night. Ah, We safely may trust to its gleaming and be sure it will lead us aright. We safely may trust it to a gleaming that cannot but guide us aright. Since it's flickering up to heaven through the night. Thus I pacified Psyche and kissed her and tempted her out of her gloom, and conquered her scruples and gloom, and we passed to the end of a vista, where we stopped by the door of a tomb, by the door of a legended tomb, and I said, What is written, sweet sister, on the door of this legended tomb? She replied, Ulalumi, Ulalumi, tis the vault of thy lost Ulalumi. Then my heart, it grew ashen and sober, as the leaves that were crisp and sere, as the leaves were withering and sere. And I cried it was surely October, on this very night of last year, that I journeyed I journeyed down here, that I brought Andred Burden down here, on this night of all nights in the year. Ah, what demon has tempted me here, well I know now, this dim lake of Orba, this misty mid-region of Weir, well I know now this dank tarn of Orba, the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. To Helen. I saw thee once, once only, years ago. I must not say how many, but not many. It was a July midnight, and from out, a full-orbed moon that, like thine own soul soaring, sought a precipitate pathway up through heaven. There fell a silvery-silken veil of light, with quietude and sultriness and slumber, upon the upturned face of a thousand roses that grew in an enchanted garden, where no wind dared to stare unless on tiptoe fell on the upturned faces of these roses that gave out in return for the love light their odorous souls in an ecstatic death fell on the upturned faces of these roses that smiled and died in this portrait enchanted by thee and by the poetry of thy presence clad all in white upon a violet bank i saw thee half reclining while the moon fell on the upturned faces of the roses and on thine own upturned alas in sorrow was it not fate that on this july midnight was it not fate whose name is also sorrow that bade me pause before the garden gate to breathe the incense of those slumbering roses no footsteps stirred the hated world all slept save only thee and me O heaven Oh God, how my heart beats in coupling those two words. Save only thee and me. I paused, I looked, and in an instant, all things disappeared. Ah, bear in mind this garden was enchanted. The pearly luster of the moon went out, the mossy banks and the meandering paths, the happy flowers and the repining trees. We were seen no more. The very rose's odors, died in the arms of the adoring heirs, all expired save thee, save less than thou. Save only the divine light in thine eyes, save but the soul in thine uplifted eyes. I saw but them, they were the world to me, I saw but them, so only them bore hours, saw only them until the moon went down. What wild heart histories seem to lie unwritten upon those crystalline celestial spheres, how dark a woe, yet how sublime a hope. How silently serene a sea of pride. How daring an ambition, yet how deep. How fathomless a capacity for love. But now, at length, dear Diane sank from sight into a western couch of thundercloud, and thou, a ghost amid the entombing trees, didst glide away, only thine eyes remained. They would not go. They never yet have gone, lighting my lonely pathway home that night. They have not left me, as my hopes have since. They follow me, they lead me through the years. They are my ministers, yet I their slave. Their office is to illumine and enkindle my duty to be saved by their bright light, and purified in their electric fire, and sanctified in their Elysian fire. They fill my soul with beauty, which is hope, and are far up in heaven, the stars I kneel to, in the sad, silent watches of my night, while even in the meridian glare of day, I see them still, two sweetly scintillant Venuses unextinguished by the sun. Annabel Lee It was many a many a year ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived whom you may know, by the name of Annabel Lee, and this maiden she lived with no other thought, than to love and be loved by me. I was the child, and she was the child, in this kingdom by the sea. But we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabel Lee, with a love that winged seraphs of heaven, coveted her and me. And this was the reason that long ago, in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, Chilling. My beautiful Annabel Lee, so that her high-born kinsman came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulchre in this kingdom by the sea, the angels not half so happy in heaven went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabel Lee, but our love it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we. Of many far wiser than we, and neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabel Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabel Lee, and the stars never rise but I see the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabel Lee. And so, all the night tide, I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride in her sepulture there by the sea in her tomb by the side of the sea. A Valentine For her this rhyme is penned, whose luminous eyes, brightly expressive as the twins of Leda, shall find her own sweet name that nestling lies upon the page enwrapped from every reader. Search narrowly the lines, they hold a treasure, divine a talisman, an amulet, that must be worn at heart. Search well the measure. The words, the syllables, do not forget the trivialest point, or you may lose your labour. And yet there is in this no Gordian knot, which one might not undo without a sabre, if one could merely comprehend the plot. In written upon the leaf, where now are peering eyes, scintillating soul, there lie Perdus, three eloquent words oft uttered in the hearing of poets by poets, as the name is a poet's too. Its letters, although naturally living, like the knight Pinto, Mendez, Ferdinando, still from a synonym for truth, cease trying. You will not read the riddle, though you do the best you can do. There is a note in this poem. To discover the names in this and the following poem, read the letter of the first line in connection with the second letter of the second line, the third letter of the third line, the fourth of the fourth, and so on to the end. So, for those who are wondering what it spells out, it spells out, Francis Sargent Osgood. A letter to Poe's friend, who was also a famous American poet, one of the most popular women writers during her time. Born in 1811 and died in 1850, she would exchange these romantic poems with Edgar Allan Poe. Absolutely fascinating. Edgar, you Casanova, over you. On to our next one. For Annie Thank heaven the crisis, the danger is past, and the lingering illness is over at last, and the fever called living is conquered at last. Sadly I know I am shorn of my strength, and no muscle I move as I lie at full length, but no matter I feel I am better at length. And I rest so composedly now in my bed, that any beholder might fancy me dead, might start at beholding me thinking me dead. The moaning and groaning, the sighing and sobbing, are quieted now, with that horrible throbbing, at heart, ah, that horrible, horrible throbbing. The sickness, the nausea, the pitiless pain, have ceased with the fever that maddened my brain, with a fever called living that burned in my brain. And oh, of all tortures, that torture, the worst, has abated the terrible torture of thirst. For the Nathaline river, of passion accursed, I have drunk of a water that quenches all thirst. Of a water that flows with a lullaby sound from a spring, but a very few feet underground, from a cavern not very far down underground. And ah, let it never be foolishly said that my room it is gloomy and narrow. My bed, for man never slept in a different bed, and to sleep you must slumber in just such a bed. My tantalized spirit here blandly reposes, forgetting or never regretting its roses, its old agitations of myrtle and roses. For now, while so quietly, lying it fancies a holier odour, about of pansies, a rosemary odour commingled with pansies, with rue and the beautiful Puritan pansies. And so it lies happily, bathing in many, a dream of the truth and the beauty of Annie, drowned in a bath of the tresses of Annie." She tenderly kissed me, she fondly caressed, and then I fell gently to sleep on her breast, deeply to sleep from the heaven of her breast. When the light was extinguished, she covered me warm, and she prayed to the angels to keep me from harm, to the queen of the angels to shield me from harm. And I lie so composedly, now in my bed, knowing her love, that you fancy me dead. And I rest so contently, now in my bed, with her love at my breast, that you fancy me dead. That you shudder to look at me, thinking me dead. But my heart it is brighter, than all of the many stars in the sky. For it sparkles with Annie, it glows with the light of the love of my Annie, with the thought of the light of the eyes of my Annie. Well, what did you think? My favourite poem from this list is Annabelle Lee. I love the flow, the narrative, and the passion of Edgar's writing in this one. Which one is your favourite? My second favourite would be Annie, again just brilliant pacing and really descriptive language in that poem. He really captures how much he truly loves his Annie. The line, the terrible torture of thirst always sticks out in my mind, and is one line that I won't soon forget, and a unique poem about LIVING being the curse. Now next Monday I'll be reading out iTunes reviews, a huge thank you to all of you who have left iTunes reviews in the past and recently. You make my day, my month, and my year with every bit of that kind of support. So, seriously, thank you very much. I'll be reading out the names if you've included them in the description, and of course the review itself at the end of that episode. So stick with me there if you've left your review. And next week is listener stories, submissions from listeners like yourself that are just brimming with creativity. I've recently had a big influx of stories, so I can't wait to jump right in. I hope you have a lovely weekend, stay safe, stay creepy, and as always, till next time.